Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Hello and welcome to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. It's the show that's as great as you want it to be and it works. This is Spotty streaming to you live from Ticker TV in Richmond, 500 metres down the road from the old GTV9 studios. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to answer your questions live on air. So send them through right now. Dexter's waiting to take your text message 0480 079 or you can email us question at spotty.com. However, I do need to say in advance that our machines have gone into meltdown over the weekend due to the number of questions we've been receiving. So try your luck anyway, send them through. As you know, if we can't get through all of them in today's episode, we will in subsequent episodes. So you'll see that at the bottom of the screen. Uh, now, uh, just uh, also, it's uh, important to uh, remind you all, of course, that those contact details will appear at the bottom of the screen. Um, so you don't have to memorize them, but it does help if you do put it into your smartphone. Uh, okay, so let's get into uh, introducing today's guests. And well, it can only be Builders Ladies Nights edition, I think. Uh, let's bring in our two chief roosters of the pen, starting with the suave Ron Shamgar, shirt on, I hope, uh, from Tamam Asset Management. G'day, Ron, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Elia. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, no, thank you, mate. The pleasure's all ours. And uh, lots of questions for you, my good man. So we're going to make you sweat for your money today. But before we do that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your investing background, as well as um, the great business at Tamam Asset Management and uh, what you do there and how you help investors every single day. Yeah, sure. Um, Tamam Asset Management, we're a boutique uh, investment firm based in Sydney. Uh, we provide... Um, investment solutions for wholesale and retail clients, uh, Australian equities, international uh, credit and property. Uh, I'm the head of Aussie equities, so I run the two Australian equity funds, the Tamim All Cap Fund and the Tamim Small Cap Dividend Fund. Um, you know, we sort of focus on that sort of more small to mid cap part of the market. That's what we feel um, uh, we can add the most value to investors. That's right. So Tamim, uh, sorry, yes, Tamim.com.au is where you can go in order to learn more about the business that Ron represents. Um, and of course, be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any decisions. Our next guest, well, he's our music man. He's our resident DJ. And let's face it, everyone loves the guy spinning the discs. It's Braden Gardner from Trade Direct 365. G'day, Braden. How are you doing? Good, Elio. How are you, mate? Oh, mate, I'm great, and I'm sure you're uh, kicking back, relaxing. Uh, probably one of the yeah. quietest times you've had in a working day, but we'll get into that in a moment. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your trading background, and how you help investors at Trade Direct 365? Okay, I'll so start off with a bit of my history. I got into trading or as a broker uh, back in 2001. I uh, started there for about, um, I was probably there for about 10 years or so. 
uh, then worked my way to trade in my own funds around about the 2011 mark. And I was mentored in the early stage by a guy called, or a professional trader called Gavin Clark. So um, he really helped me out a long way, you know, helped me to get on my feet and helped me to recognize my strengths and weaknesses. So essentially I trade um, supply and demand and momentum um, into shares, pretty much anything. We trade um, indices a lot, shares, uh, ASX basically, uh, a few currencies and bits and pieces. So it wasn't long after, probably about 2015 when I hooked up with Davin and he started up Trade Direct 365. So it's a CFD trading platform. Uh, the idea behind it and what we work on now is uh, tight spread. So when volatility kicks off, which it does and which it will hopefully sometime soon, uh, the spreads are fixed. So that's a very important thing if you're trading, um, especially intraday if you're trading longer term as well. But um, fixed spreads is a good thing. So they don't widen the spreads at all. And with Trade uh, Direct, there's a special offer. If you check out the website, uh, tradedirect365.com.au, you'll see there's a, a two and a half grand rebate offer to, to get you started. So, um, yeah, so at the moment, we're just um, working towards uh, increasing the, the offering on the platform. And we also do a trade uh, an alert service, Trade Setup. Uh, so the website's tradesetup.com.au. And you'll just see our latest results if you jump on the website, see how we're going. So far, so good. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much where we stand at the moment. All right, then. So we're, oh, sorry, tradedirect365.com.au is the website there, folks, if you want to learn more about what uh, Braddon does and how his service helps uh, investors. Uh, we're ready now, so all we need are your questions. But like I said, we've got a stack of them, but don't never fear, we will get through them throughout the week. Before we get started, though, I need to remind you all that the information in today's show is of a general nature only. None of it takes into account your financial objectives, situations or needs. And therefore, should you decide to act on any of this information, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Yes, past performance is no indicator of future performance. And if you wish to discuss any of this content with anyone other than your significant other in life, then you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to do so. Also, our guests and myself try to remember when we are talking about stocks to disclose whether we hold an interest in the business. But of course, in the cut and thrust of stock discussions, we can sometimes forget. Feel free to contact us all directly if you have any questions in regards to our interest in any particular stock. And for the next hour, Spotty is proud to be powered by our partners at uh, Share Wealth Systems. Now, since uh, 1995, Share Wealth Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio with a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, then please go to their website, sharewealthsystems.com, and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any investment decision. Well, gentlemen, the market's still pretty much where it was when it opened, actually 24 minutes in. The market was up 1.18%, uh, but it hasn't traded since uh, 10.24 because the market is shut. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a really positive day. To be honest with you, gentlemen, it feels like sitting indoors with a broken leg when it's 26 and sunny outdoors. So, Ron, I'm going to go to you first in regards to this. I mean, obviously, it's a technical glitch that's... Um, uh, that's happened out there. Do you think, and look, it's, it's on the back of a recent, or they were doing a new uh, upgrade as it were over the weekend. It doesn't appear to have gone to plan. Um, they have had a number of different things that they've wanted to pull together. And all of a sudden the system's starting to look quite wobbly when in fact it was working quite perfectly beforehand. So are you interested, concerned? Are you just yawning and, and taking the morning off? What's your view? Well, first thing, uh, when the market sort of freezed, I called my therapist. 
Um, <laughs> and, and also, I guess the first question we need to ask him is, is why is it malfunctioning on an update? You know, I'd rather yeah. it sort of freeze on one of those. Do it on a down day. Perfect. <laughs> and, uh, but look, uh, it's, it's sort of uh, ASX sort of um, project uh, trade refresh, they're calling it. They've been um, uh, doing an upgrade to their system on the weekend. Apparently, they've had already four rehearsals to this in the last four months. And the fact that it's sort of malfunctioned, it's a bit of a concern, um, I think. Um, mm. Obviously, it sort of uh, brings to question, um, you know, so some of the sort of systems in the background. Uh, for the ASX. Um, the other thing is, you know, they're planning to sort of upgrade the whole settlement sort yeah. of system, uh, talking about blockchain and so on. And, you know, that that, that could um, be a concern if they can't get this bit right um, in the future. Um, but yeah, look, it's, uh, it's concerning, but, you know, these things happen. And as long as I think it's rectified um, by the end of business today, I think, um, you know, we all need a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, and that's a good lead into you because I think I could see a nervous scratch behind your left earlobe there, mate. You've obviously been yipping away because you love it when markets are open and doing what they do. Um, I mean, from a trader's perspective, the psyche, it, it will eventually reopen. We know that. But, I mean, it's going to be a bit unsettled. So, you know, if any clients are calling you, obviously, one, wanting to know what's going on, but then, two, you know, what they should think about or do. Should they just take the rest of the day off and go fishing or should they be waiting till the market opens and, you know, there might be some quirks that could prove to be some opportunities? What's your view? Yeah, I think um, it is kind of annoying when you're sitting around like you'd be stuck at the computer, not really looking at too much. I keep glancing over thinking of things are moving and then, yeah, you're finding out it's still closed. So <laughs> I think it will sort itself out, obviously. Um, for me, if I'm trading the indices, there's not much happening until probably the Hang Seng opens in another what's well, about five minutes or so from here. So that's where we get a bit of action from when we're um, intraday trading. For intraday traders on the ASX, yeah, you'd be scratching your head. And now, if you're caught in the wrong position on the wrong side, um, you'd be pretty nervous up until it opens, and you don't know what's going to happen on the open. Like you said, it's going to work itself out. Not a problem. It still amazes me with IT. They you know, you go through the systems, you test, 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 and you still have issues when it um, comes live. So um, I think they've got a few issues they've got to work out from that side of things. But yeah, as a, as a trader, intraday, I think you, um, you'd be a bit concerned if you're on the wrong side of the market in a position you'd be sweating over for now, because I think a lot of people use too much leverage and they probably shouldn't do. Um, so you'd be sweating on some positions if it's against you. But other than that, it could be some action on the open, so that's what we'll be watching for. If not, it's just going to be a, you know one of those normal days heading higher. Yeah, I mean, look, from my perspective, and I'm sure Ron will empathise with this, you know, I, I harbour a dark desire that one day the ASX will only ever trade one day a year. Basically, no <laughs> trades at all until this one specific day and all that pent-up emotion, mate. You want to see some buying pressure. <laughs> you wait to see That'll when that market great. opens. <laughs> It'll absolutely pop. But nonetheless, so I dare suggest this will be a short-term glitch and we'll continue on our merry way until we introduce blockchain and really stuff it up uh, properly. All right then, gentlemen, let's get into the questions. Like I said, there's been a heap of them. So, Ron, I'm going to go to you. This one's a stock that you've talked about quite a bit of time. It was one of those COVID winners until it came out that we're likely to have a vaccine and all of a sudden no one wanted it anymore because apparently uh, no one's going to buy anything online. Uh, well, that's what they tell me. The stock in question is Redbubble. The code is RBL for those of you playing along at home. The question comes from longtime viewer, first time question asker, Tony. So that's why I thought I'd open up with this one. Uh, would like to, his question specifically relates to the CEO uh, selling down some 6 million shares in the business. And obviously the price has encountered a bit of weakness since then. 
Related, unrelated, something to watch. What's your view on that one, Ron? Yeah, look, um, I mean, obviously when, um, you know, a, a CEO or senior management sell down stock, um, it, it's always a little bit of a concern. Um, obviously this was done after a very strong uh, first quarter update. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a Redbubble, it's an online marketplace for, for artists, they sell their their designs and then consumers can sort of get it printed on different um, uh, products. Uh, it's a global business, it's not really in Australia. We really like it, I mean, it's hugely profitable. Uh, it's on track for about um, close to $600 million of, of sales and potentially maybe $100 million of, of EBIT this year. They're cashed up, uh, maybe 100 mil of net cash. You know, they're, they're the fastest growing e-commerce business on the ASX. They're the most profitable e-commerce on the ASX. Mm. Yet they trade on a huge discount to their peers, such as Kogan and Temple Webster, which are local businesses, and a big discounts to its global peer, uh, Etsy. Um, so we think it's still cheap. We think this is an opportunity. Um, I don't think anything has really uh, changed. You know, even if there is a vaccine or there isn't a vaccine, um, you know, people are, are using, uh, <clears throat> they're shopping online more. That because it's a global business, it's an on, you know, it's a, it's a it's a global huge market opportunity for them. They'll keep growing. They might not grow at the same rates they have this year, which is probably not sustainable. But we think it's it's really cheap. We think it's worth about seven dollars. And look, with the CEO selling, he did sell a, a, a bit of a chunk, but he still owns about a hundred and seventy million dollars or, or thereabout of stock. So you got to put it in perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a buy and we own it and we took the opportunity to top up uh, under four bucks when it got sold off. Okay, so I mean, look, yeah, interesting this one, Braden, because uh, obviously everyone watches this sort of behaviour. I mean, we've seen people like even the Pfizer CEO selling down a massive load of stock on the back of uh, after the uh, vaccine announcement. So I mean, it's part of the normal trade. I won't get you to go too much into the uh, I suppose the conspiracy theories, pardon the pun, that uh, can surround this sort of behaviour. But if you wouldn't mind just telling us some key levels that you'd be watching from here after, what was a parabolic run? It's taken a bit of a breath. Um, you know, Ron seeing as an opportunity around the $5 mark, but uh, you know, what sort of levels would confirm that that's the case in your world? $4 level, which it's traded up through uh, when it was back in August, pushed through, tested it a few times before it really had a good run up to $6. It has um, backed off since there, but the way it backed off was quite nice. You get that it originally, it, it really fell over, pushed down, and it had a bit of a bit of a bounce, and it's edged its way back down in that uh, $4 zone, which I think is quite solid. Now, that if that can hold up, uh, that'd be quite nice, and you can see the momentum has eased right back off, but the level's still holding up quite nicely, so that would be key for me. Okay, thank you very much for that. All right, so the next question now comes from, I'll keep it in the theme of the whole retail space, but definitely on the op opposite end of your more traditional foot-style traffic. The stock, um, well, it comes from Bernie, this question, um, and it's Nick Scarly, code NCK. Now, just to, to iterate to Ben's, uh, Bernie's question here, saying that he holds a small parcel in a stock, not that we can consider that Bernie, of course, but what we can consider is that you did visit a large Nick Scarly store in Brisbane on the week uh, on the weekday. At lunchtime last week, he was particularly amazed that there were there was they were the only ones that were in the big store. Looked pretty big to him, and he was no one else there. And he'd appreciate our view in regards to Nick Scarly, NCK. So, Ron, obviously, 
You know, we've seen the Temple and Webster's and the like and the Adairs, and they've had a particularly good run uh, selling online. Nick Scarley, even though their online presence isn't anywhere near as great, they've actually held up very well through this whole COVID crisis. So NCK, a business you've got a favourable disposition to, or do you think uh, that, you know, others that have got a head start in that space are the ones to consider? Now, look, this is probably the highest quality uh, from a financial point of view. Uh, I'm not sure about the actual sofas, but from a financial <laughs> point of view, it's the highest quality um, bricks and mortar retailer. Yep. You look at their financials year in year, it's absolutely amazing. The cash generation, the margins, and they always surprise you on the upside in terms always. of you know, being able to grow. Um, one thing I would I would not, you gotta be a little bit careful with sort of walking in at a particular time in the middle of the day on a weekday into any retail business. It's not really an indication, especially with you know, a, a furniture business. Most people will probably shop on the weekend and you know, uh, lunchtime, uh, leather lounges. It's not like a JB Hi-Fi where they, they see hundreds of people at, at the same time sort of shopping for little items. So I wouldn't pay much attention to it. Um, look, it's it's had a really good run. It's benefited from people staying at home and upgrading their furniture and so on. Uh, I think first quarter, like for like growth was 60%. It's, it's estimated, it's, it's given guidance at the AGM that uh, growth will continue in the second half. So it's going to do about 100 mil of EBIT this year, but it's not sustainable. And I think that's the concern going into financial year 2022. It's going to have to cycle this huge uh, sales growth. It's going to be difficult. And obviously, we don't know how the Australian consumer will fare, you know, in six months from now. So I think, you know, if you look at the sort of um, broker targets that everyone is around that $9 mark. So there's not a huge upside, but look, it's quality. It pays a 6% DV yield, uh, good management. It's trading probably on about 13, 14 times PE for FY22. So, you know, it's okay. If, if I held it and you're happy to sort of hold it long-term, I think it's okay. Uh, but I don't see huge upside. We don't own it. Um, there's not enough upside for us there. Uh, now, that's uh, famous last words uh, there in regards to not enough upside because, you know, as you articulated, they're just outstanding in their ability to keep beating on expectations. Anthony Scarley holding close to 15% in the business uh, carries the family name, of course. But Braddon, I mean, look, it tested a lot. I was just having a look here. Recent higher lows, let's call it that, at around the $7.90 mark keeps to bouncing off that, but it's yet to make a higher high. So, are you um, in the same boat with Ron su suggesting that, you know, possibly it could be a little bit range bound without any other further catalyst? What's your sort of uh, view in regards to that price chart for Nick Scarley? Yeah, it's definitely range bound at the moment. You can see just that level you said around the, say, six, six, 760 just down there. It's bounced off there quite a few times now. It's been testing it, but it's also had um, topside you know, testing around at 950 or thereabouts. So it is pretty much range bound, range bound at the moment. The good thing is it's had a good run up and the fact that if it can consolidate around these levels, you know, between there, sooner or later it'll start dragging in some buys you would expect. Um, but you really want to see any sort of test down start to be soaked up at higher levels um, for that break up through 950 if, if that's going to happen down the track. But for now, it's, it's just bouncing between those two levels. Okay, then. Thank you very much for that, Brad. And Ron, Tyro Payments, TYR, if there's a company where you can feel you've got a handle in regards to how sales and revenue are going. This would be it because, of course, the company or the board made a commitment to disclose every single week how their transaction volumes are going up until the end of the year. Um, and they're still doing that, even though it appears that uh, the recent COVID crisis, at least here in Australia, has abated somewhat. 
Um, another update today, another continued amount of growth. Young Matt here wants to know our thoughts in regards to Tyro. So uh, take it away, Maestro. Yeah, look, Tyro payments terminal business. I mean, I think most consumers sort of know them. They, they you know, tap and go on their terminals when they go to the local cafe or supermarket or whatever. Um, you know, uh, really good business. Uh, they, they do release their uh, sales on a weekly basis. Uh, this morning, um, you know, the same day on day, November sales are up 15%. So we've seen a gradual uplift in sales in the last sort of four to six weeks, obviously as sort of Victoria has emerged from lockdown. So they, they should continue to benefit. They're one of those COVID winners where nobody wants to handle cash anymore. So we, where they've benefited from that. Uh, the problem is, you know, it's $2 billion market cap. Uh, it's probably going to turn break even maybe in 12 months from now. It's doing about 240 mil of revenue, uh, maybe 50,000 terminals. Uh, so it's on eight times revenue multiple. Uh, so even though it's a good business, we think it's really expensive. And we actually like um, another player called SmartPay. It's mm -hmm. sort of like a, a smaller version of it. They've got about 5,000 terminals in Australia. They're growing faster, but obviously off a lower base. If you put the same kind of revenue multiple just on the Australian business, you get the same market cap as they're trading on today in terms of smart pay. But they've got a New Zealand business, uh, which got a takeover offer earlier this year for $70 million. Uh, obviously, the, the bidder walked away because of COVID. We think they'll come back. Uh, and so we think that's a, a better sort of, um, it, it's a sort of more upside type of opportunity. It's much cheaper. And we really like the management team there. So we prefer smart pay over Tyro. Yeah, well, look, let me keep with that theme of um, uh, winners over COVID because uh, Tesh asked about EML payments, EML. Now, its share price in recent times has rallied a little bit, probably because everyone's still associating the gift card business um, to, uh, to it, thinking that when stores reopen, people will be using gift cards more. But really, it's their back-end payment processing um, side of the business, which has been doing incredibly well, acquiring new clients, and one would argue has been a COVID winner in that side of their business. Um, he, uh, Tesh wants to know our thoughts in regards to EML. Um, an update in regards to your thoughts, uh, particularly on the back of a recent conference they held and other further updates that they've been providing in recent weeks. Yeah, look, email payments, we're still on it. Really like it, great management team. Uh, their problem is they're probably they're, they're profitable. That's their problem. You know, yep. they, they, they've exactly. been running losses and, and growing the top line and probably be trading at ten dollars. Mm. But that's not the type of management they're running this as a, as a profitable growing business, which we like. Um, just to you know, they had a Q1 update uh, a few weeks ago. So first quarter was forty mil uh, revenue, ten mil EBITDA, and a good way to look at it as you can annualize and add some growth to the first quarter. So you're looking at forty to forty-five mil of EBITDA, and then you've got the seasonal uplift with the gift card sales, usually in sort of November, December, where on last year, that did close to $20 million of gross profit. So essentially, if they're on track for the same as last year, they would be doing well in excess of $60 million EBITDA, um, which consensus is about 54. So that, that's a, a big upgrade to consensus if gift card sales can maintain. Now, we had a call with management a week ago, last week there was a conference and they actually haven't really seen, they're sort of tracking sort of in line with last year so far. So, you know, there's still another six weeks to go and no one really knows what's gonna happen. Lockdowns, people are gonna buy gift cards in shopping malls in Europe, in the US, or they're gonna buy less. It's very hard to tell. Mm. But look, if you can look beyond this year and, you know, eventually COVID will be under control, things will go back to normal. 
uh, then you know they're continuing to grow as you mentioned the sort of non-gift card part of their business they're signing a lot of new programs they're investing in sort of new fintechs to accelerate their sort of solutions for their customers so they can win more programs they're starting to win government deals you know new south wales transit and so on so we really like it uh, we think you're just going to have to be patient and sort of sit through this sort of uncertainty with, with this Christmas uh, uh, period. But then I think next year you'll see sort of the stock make new highs and uh, probably acquisitions as well. So we really like it, we own it. And thank you also for shouting me that coffee too, which of course that backend payment mm -hmm. being using uh, uh, EML payments, I signed up for that too. Uh, Shout.com.au, go have a look, innovative little technology company um, outside of this. Uh, but look, Brad, and I will get your view in regards to EML. It's quite the, you know a way off, it's lofty, pre-COVID highs of around five odd dollars. It has rebounded, but it's sort of stuck in that middle ground um, at the moment, uh, sort of trying to find its uh, key direction, either north or south, probably for the reasons that Ron has uh, just articulated. So what sort of levels would you be uh, advising young Tesh to keep a close eye on to highlight whether the bull or bear case may win out in the short term? Yeah, it looks like there's a bit of tentative action up around that four mark. And from what Ron said, you can see why. You can see that the um, the buyers are getting a bit, not not really nervous, but a bit tentative when it uh, pushes up to that four mark. But it is, on the flip side, getting soaked up quite nicely. You can see it's had a rally uh, probably end of September through October up to $4. Backed off quite quick, but it rebounded just as quick. So there is buyers down in that zone. For me personally, I would be looking at any minor pullback, say, towards that $3 as a bit of buying opportunity because it is getting soaked up quite nicely. Uh, so if we see that with a bit of volume, a bit of rise in volume, then that could just support longer term a case for a move up through $4 because sooner or later people will stop selling it for, it'll start rallying quite nicely. And then that's where you might get the push to 570 or the, the recent highs before the sell off. Well, now that I've got you in full uh, stride here, Brad, and maybe we have a look at uh, SmartPay that Ron just uh, raised too, because I'm sure a number of people have just piqued their interest given it's below a dollar and the nature of people that, as they are that watch this program. But we love you all, all, all kinds. But no, but in regards to SmartPay though, uh, look, it, its share price has been going sideways for a little bit there. Do you, you know, what sort of breakout in terms of this contraction that you've seen here would um, instigate a buy trigger from this point if we're uh, going to believe Ron's uh, thesis. So what's the code on SmartPay there? Uh, SMP, sorry, I should have mentioned that. Okay. Yes, and that's for all of you <laughs> playing along at home too. Okay, SmartPay, just grab that up now. Actually, that to me, that looks really, really nice. That's Ooh, I like that. the move up off, um, say, 22 cents. It's had a big sell-off, obviously, through that, you know, when everything was getting hammered. The way it's rebound has been really nice. It rejected through to the highs. That was back on, uh, say it was the 23rd of June. But since then, it's been soaked up really nicely. And when you start to hold higher levels and the, the sellers can't come in and force and push it back down to the recent lows, and it's getting soaked up quite nicely. It was originally getting soaked up around the 54 mark, then it was up around 56. And then, you know, slightly higher each time. Sooner or later, that's going to drag in some buyers and you'll see them when it starts to break a level potentially around the 64 mark or so, it may start to accelerate to the upside, but the way it's moved, uh, it's had a good solid run back up, the big bounce um, from February, and then it hasn't really pulled back much at all. So that's nice, you know, it's good evidence that buyers are soaking up at higher levels and want a piece of the action. Excellent, no, good O, thank you very much for that. I'll put that on my buy list once the market <laughs> works again. Uh, all right then, gentlemen, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll go to you, Ron, on this one here. Another stock that you've talked about quite a bit of 
uh, a few times on this program. It's done obviously incredibly well for um, people who have uh, listened to you. Um, the question comes from David. He, the, the stock he's talking about is Tesserant, of course, which is TNT for those of you playing along at home. Uh, just in regards, he'd like to hear your thoughts in regards to their recent, you know, M&A activity that they've been participating in. And further, whether you have a view on ArchTIS, which is AR9, a potential competitor of TNT. So just in regards to TNT's current strategy and then AR9 as a possible opportunity there, Ron. Yeah, um, look, Tesserant, I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yes, uh, it's it, an amazing story. I mean, it's the, probably the most aggressive roll-up and sort of in terms of the time frame that, that I've seen for a while. But, you know, it seems to have sort of far been working. So they've already hit their sort of $100 million of annualized run rate revenues. And they've given a new target at the recent quarterly update of $150 million of annualized run rate revenue by June next year. So that, that, that's a big upgrade. Um, you know, they turned profitable and they're actually winning some good organic, um, sort of uh, some new contracts. We chose that they're growing organically, not just through acquisitions, which is always a positive. Um, look, it's trading. I think the, the market cap is maybe $300 million. Um, they've got cash. Uh, they're starting to sort of expand and looking to expand overseas. They've done a joint venture deal in New Zealand. So they're looking to sort of expand over there. Um, you know, I think um, so far so good, but with, with any sort of aggressive roll-up, uh, at some point when acquisition starts to slow down, then you get to see sort of, um, you know, what, what's under the, the hood, under the bonnet, so to speak, and you start to see whether there's actual sort of organic growth. It's all being sort of muddied through acquisitions. Look, it, it's up almost 10 times uh, since we bought it, sorry, eight times. Uh, we've taken profits. I think, you know, our, our near-term valuation was 40 cents. It's got there. If they can do 150 mil revenues by June next year, it's probably worth maybe 50 cents. So there's still upside. Uh, you know, market loves these kind of like roll-ups. Uh, the, the management is promotional, so it's good. It's the right space at the right time, you know, cybersecurity thematic. So we, we still hold it, but we've taken a lot of profits, and I should say that. Yeah, and, so and in terms of that other one, AR9, yeah. look, we, we had a call with management uh, a month or two ago. To be honest, I struggled to understand what their solution actually is. Okay. Um, they don't generate a lot of revenue. I mean, we're talking, I think, from memory, a couple million bucks. It looks a bit expensive um, to us, uh, and we don't really understand it as much. I'm not sure it's exactly a competitor to Testerain. I think they kind of do something a little bit differently to them. Yeah, well, look, it would make sense that you don't know what they're doing, Ron. I mean, otherwise, it wouldn't be any good at security, would it? But no, that's okay. I understand where you're coming from. Look, Braddon, just before we go into our halftime break, AR9, let's let's leave TNT because seriously, you don't need a, a degree in technical analysis to know what that price has been doing. But AR9 appears to be having some interesting price action. What's your view in regards to key levels from here? It's been rejected a few times at uh, around the 60 cent mark, uh, 58 and a half thereabouts, rejected off it um, for initially bounced back off that 36 mark, it rejected again, and then it rejected for the third time. So not a really good sign. And then if you add that into the fact that it's been rejecting a bit lower at around a 46 and a half mark, um, there is some pressure on the downside. The good thing is it's been, every time it does get rejected down there, it's getting soaked up around the 35, 36 level. So for now, if that can hold that 35, 36 level, that can hold and start to bring in some further buys. And we start to push back up through 40, 40 and a half, 41, 
that's not a bad sign, but it's really the key level if we can get back and test 46 and a half and they can pull back and any sort of pullbacks met with some buying pressure, that would be nice. That would um, lead me to believe it's going to start pushing back up through 46, you know, and retest those highs where it's been rejecting a few times around 58. And then once it gets through that, of course, blue sky, but a bit of distance to get there before then. All right, then, gentlemen, help yourself to a glass of water and wipe down the sweat because it's time for me to remind everyone that if they've got a question, they can send it to question at spotty.com.au or text Dexter 0480 079 089. Uh, remember, you can go to the website spotty.com.au to watch all past episodes of the show. And yes, we are available on all the podcast uh, streaming channels as well. Now, we continue with our exploration of the 16 traits of successful investing that our great supporters at Share Wealth Systems have made available to all viewers at Spotty. Now, today we're going to talk about why we need to turn off the distractions and focus, block out the noise. Have you ever been caught out investing based on some positive news only to see the share price plummet afterwards? Well, I bet that's happened to a lot of you, particularly recently. Well, with the explosion of the internet and in particular social media, the noisy nonsense news and worse still, everyone's opinion, well, you can't run away from it. But unless you live on social media, then you need to know that it's impossible to be able to keep up with all these events as they go live to air. And often when we hear about it, it's too late. So rather than trade based on headlines, we must remove the distractions and align with the processes and plans that we have in place. Doing so allows us to block out the noise and engage with the market on our terms, not theirs. So go to the website 16traits, that's 16traits.com to learn why turning off distractions is key for us to be successful over the long term. Okay, so back to the market, still shut. So let's answer some more questions. Uh, Ron, I'll go to you uh, in regards to this one here. Um, I do want to talk about Big Tin Can, BTH. It's a software as a service business. It's had its boom in terms of uh, uh, the immediate sharp price run up, but you know, sort of trying to find its feet now in this new uh, post-COVID world and all that. Um, the question comes from Paul on the text machine. He'd like to hear your, an updated view in regards to what you think of BTH at the moment following its run. Yeah, look, our view hasn't changed. We, we like it. Um, it's a sales enablement uh, SaaS software. It's a global business. Uh, it's growing really nicely through acquisitions um, and through organic growth, uh, probably doing about 40% per annum in the last five years. So that's really impressive. They, they've hit that sort of um, annual recurring revenue milestone of $50 million this year is their forecast, which is it's a big inflection point for these kind of businesses. They tend to get a higher multiple. Uh, it had a massive run up when they announced that. Um, and it sort of ran up to all the way up to $1.60, I think. Uh, which was probably, you know, we, we, we said it's worth anywhere between sort of $1.50 to $1.80. So, you know, it sort of had a quick run up. And then when the tech stocks were sort of selling off um, towards the end of October, uh, it got sold off uh, quite aggressively as well. I think it sort of got close to a dollar. And we used that to sort of opportunity to top up. Um, you know, I think it's sort of, um, it's probably uh, still valued at, at sort of that same valuation range that we have, sort of $1.50 to $1.80 depends how fast they grow. The key catalyst for this one is they need to make more acquisitions. They've got about $70 million of net cash. Uh, they need to acquire more businesses. The last one was a bit small. So I think that's the next catalyst. Uh, but it, I think just last week it, it announced it won a million dollar a year uh, customer. So it's, it's growing organically nicely, but it needs those acquisitions for the next leg up. Yeah, and it also needs those in order to pay the CEO. Uh, interesting little rate there relative to the size of the business. But nonetheless, uh, Braddon, your view in regards to BTH, it's had a pretty severe 
pullback from its peak. It is starting to rebound now. It hasn't set a new high, be it either higher high or lower high. So again, stuck in that middle range, what sort of levels could you uh, possibly provide Paul with that he'd be watching from here on in? Yeah, I think it, the pullback was quite savage, but um, it did a similar type of thing when it, you know, the sell-off we saw back in March, quite hard, and then just recovered, constantly recovered. So he's just holding higher lows the whole way up. It did push up through a zone around 107, which it has pulled back and retested that area. So I think that's a key level, a bit of a line in the sand for, for buyers. If we do from here, we break back down below that level. Obviously, that's a bit of a concern, but I think for now, it is holding up quite nicely. You can see that buyers reacted up off that level. So. As long as it keeps, you know, along its merry way, any pullbacks are met with some um, buying pressure and they keep soaking it up, then I think this will be starting to work its way back up to the highs in the near term. Okay, then. So going on to the next question, Ron, I'll go to you with this one here because, and I'm going to power through a few just so we can uh, fit them through. One of those stocks that did get cane during the whole uh, COVID crisis, but it's rebounded very strongly, particularly on the back um, of an update um, uh, just recently, was Resimac, uh, code RMC. Um, tell us a little bit about what happened because you've brought this to our attention before in the see the light section. Uh, you have backed it. Are, are you still a supporter of the stock? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's one of our biggest holding. It's probably um, maybe the top two. Um, you know, um, we've, we've been really hammering home about this one. We really like it. It's the largest uh, non-bank mortgage originator in Australia. Um, you know, they, they've got a, they gave an update on Friday. The AGM is this week. Um, you know, they're forecasting um, first half profits uh, to be around $50 million after tax. Uh, you know, that's up from like, um, I think it was uh, $26 million last year. So almost 100% growth. Uh, they're benefiting from, from a few things uh, that, that are happening. There's obviously, um, they, they, you know, the, the broker channel, which is uh, where they sell their mortgages to, uh, is taking share away from the big banks. Uh, obviously, the property market is, is quite buoyant at the moment. Uh, you know, with all the sort of, uh, you know, uh, interest rates at zero levels and you've got a, a lot of uh, quantitative easing happening with the RBA, it's really beneficial to the funding structure, which is a, a pure spread uh, between the uh, BBSW 30-day uh, bank bill rate and, and the cash rate. So that's really favorable for them. Um, and so that's aiding their profits. They, they, they think it will continue. Um, and you know they're, they're going to keep growing um, their market share. And look, Liberty Financial is looking to IPO, where they're talking about a sort of 13 to 15 times P multiple. And they 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 are focused to do about 150 mil NPAT. These guys are going to do 100 mil NPAT this year, and they're only trading on on a P of maybe eight times. They're cashed up. They pay a DV. Um, you know th this is a really under the radar, under owned uh, stock that we think is worth three dollars. Okay, again, I'll wait till the market reopens. Uh, everyone, let's talk <laughs> about Pushpay, PPH. Um, it's a, a stock that's been discussed on this program uh, quite a number of times. So we're not going to cover too much of fundamentals because there's not much else we can really do. Other than to say that they're going to have a split and they provided an update uh, very recently where they gave client numbers of around 10,000. And it all basically seems, um, you know, as they said it was going to happen, it seems to be happening. But Braddon, PPH, its price, though, has been very much range-bound. It's currently back to levels it hasn't seen since June um, uh, last, uh, sorry, this year, but back in June, so five months ago, has had its peaks and troughs. It can swing a little bit aggressively. So 
Again, what sort of levels would you be watching here? Uh, Sean's asked this question, I might add. And uh, yeah, what sort of levels would you be watching here? Because of course, it's uh, very much you know, in that faith space. We know what's happened in the US. Will people turn against God because Trump didn't win? I don't know. I don't know what makes the evangelical side of the, the ledger tick, but nonetheless, um, what's your view in regards to PPH? Do you think that price can hold? What, do you think the odds are in the favour for the continued bull case? Yeah, I don't like the way it's pushed back down off that $9. It's the second time, you know, a good retest there. And you can see it's been quite a few days up there. So there's a bit of, um, you know, sellers coming out of the market or buyers coming out of the market, sorry. Uh, the way it's pushed down, I'm not a big fan of, but mm. it has been soaked up quite nicely at that level before around, you know, say, 7. And it could extend a bit lower to 635 to 640 or so. There is a minor level down there. So don't be surprised if it extends there and bounces back quite hard if it is going to be volatile. But what I would want to see is, say, around that zone, so six, $6.90 or $7, $7, if that can hold up and we can start to lift off that level and hold some minor higher levels. But you, of course, you want to see that volume start to step in. If volume's not stepping in, there's a chance that it makes a lower high and can just blast straight through um, that support zone. So really, we just want to see that volume hold up around that zone, around $7. Okay, and that was PPH there, Sean. And like I said, just go back and have a look at some of the past episodes. It's been talked about quite extensively. Um, Ron, one interesting... I mean, I know you're very much familiar with the telco space. A big news item last week when we weren't um, on air was in regards to Telstra's restructure. Yes, another one. Um, but obviously looking to split its business into three different corporate entities to realise the value, as they say. Um, you know, in other words, put up the for sale sign or offer their services to uh, providers, even competitors, uh, for a fee, uh, of course. What did you make of the Telstra Strategy Day? Do you think that this is a good sign for them or is it a uh, last gasp, uh, an Andy Penn last gasp special? What's your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think it's actually one of the smartest moves they've done in a very long time. Yeah, um, agree with that. I yep. think this is this is the way really to to crystallize value in in what, what is a really sort of structurally challenged business. They are losing market share slowly, um, you know, to, to sort of new emerging competitors. Um, I think this is really smart. You know, they're splitting it into a, you know Optus, uh, sorry, not Optus, a, a mobile tower business, an infrastructure business, and then a services business. You know, the infrastructure, they can have a chance to bid for the NBN if it's sold by the government one day. Um, you know, the mobile tower business, well, we know Optus um, is selling its mobile tower business, and that will sort of crystallize what's that business worth for Telstra. Investors can sort of value that separately, and who knows, maybe they spin that out or sell it as well. Um, and so, you know, I think it's good. Uh, it's a good move. I think the stock will probably react favorably as they actually start to sort of implement that strategy and then we start to see transactions in the sector sort of happen and that and investors can sort of start to value the business on some of its parts uh, but we like sort of other sort of players in the sector that are growing faster and are disrupting uh, telstra you know mm. uh, unity group uh, which is is kind of like a fiber uh, infrastructure play they're, they're, they're the main competitor to the nbn they got 15 percent market share they finally got the opticom deal yep. to go ahead um, you know, you got Aussie Broadband, which is growing fast in that sort of internet uh, uh, consumer space. And then obviously Spirit Telecom is more in that sort of uh, small business corporate sort of services, IT, cybersecurity and, and telco services. And they're growing really well as well. So we, we like those three stocks compared to Telstra. But you know, I think Telstra, it's a good move. 
Now, UWL, AWB, and ST1 are the codes of those three for those of you playing along at home. Um, but Brennan, look, Telstra was in a death spiral. And uh, although that said, it didn't quite hit its all-time lows back in, that it struck in 2018. It got very close, but it's now pivoted, popped back above three bucks. For long-suffering shareholders that have hoped for uh, Telstra to uh, finally make it, what's that price action telling you? Would you? And even for those that were, you know, possibly looking at some value, is now the time to finally dip in uh, some coin into it? Yeah, we were amazingly enough, we were big shorters of this uh, a while ago and did quite well through mm. you know, the last few years, I guess. Yep. Now, I wouldn't go through it. I wouldn't go near it at the moment with a short sell. I think the way that um, it's been bouncing off, say, 260 is quite constructive. And it's done that a few times. So it seems to be a line in the sand down there. Right now, I still wouldn't buy it just yet. I want to see what happens on a pullback. I would ideally like to see it have a bit of a push to 350 or so. And then that first pullback to see how um, buyers react. And if they start supporting the higher level, then I think the way it's come off the 250, 60 area is quite constructive. And that would lead me to believe that if that high low can stick, then we might be starting to look back up to recent highs around three, you know, $4 or so, and potentially higher, just to see how it all works out though. All right, then. Thank you very much for that. Oh, by the way, Braden, if you were trying to impress me by the fact that you've been shorting this stock for years, uh, you didn't do it, mate. Seriously. Uh, nothing. Uh, no rocket science there. Okay, uh, Ron, I want to go to an interesting theme that you called out um, in the early days, the dark days of uh, COVID despair, um, and that eventually things were going to reopen. We knew that. And one thing to play in that was the auto sector. Uh, particularly in regards to things like auto finance, financiers and the like. One stock in the retail space uh, there is Babcorp. BAP is their code for those of you playing along at home. Um, what's your view in regards to this stock? The question comes from Peter. He'd like to know our view from a uh, medium term uh, perspective, what we think uh, you know, is, uh, uh, is ahead for this, uh, for this business. Because let's face it, it was quality leading into COVID. Is there still quality now coming out the other side? Yeah, look, Babco, it's, it's a quality, you know, auto parts, uh, repair service sort of business. Um, it's, uh, you know, I guess it's it's kind of defensive qualities. Uh, it's fared really well during COVID. And mm -hmm. um, it's obviously benefiting from that sort of domestic tr travel thematic and, you know, people using their vehicles more and obviously the used vehicle market is really booming. Uh, so that's really positive for them. It's, um, you know, it's two and a half billion dollar market cap. It's well covered by a lot of brokers. It's well owned. And it's probably fully priced, you know, 25 times PE, pays a 2.5% dividend yield. So, you know, although it, it's a good quality business, we, we just don't see much upside. We, we think it's sort of fairly valued. And we actually prefer some of the smaller players in this space. So, you know, more like maybe a similar business, sort of similar thematic is um, a national tire and distribution, yep. NTD, the code. They've recently uh, acquired one of their biggest competitors, Tires for You. You know, they've got 400 mil of annualized revenue. They've just upgraded for the second time in the last two months their EBITDA for this year. They're now on track for close to $25 million of EBITDA, and they're spending a lot of cash. Their cash, uh, their net debt has actually reduced quite significantly to 20 mil. So it shows they're generating good cash. Uh, they they, they, they used, used to pay a dividend. I think they'll continue to. And it's trading on maybe, um, you know, four, uh, sorry, trading on five times EV to EBITDA and maybe um, eight times PE. Uh, we think it's worth probably somewhere around sort of a dollar ten, a dollar twenty. 
think it's in that 80 cent range. So I think that's a better way to play it, more upside and the same thematic. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that, NTD, uh, of course, being a national tire there and uh, the views on Babcorp. Uh, we're going to go through uh, stocks to see the light on in a moment. Ron, you'll be going first, so I'll give you a chance to have a breather and uh, collect your thoughts. Uh, but uh, the other question Peter wanted to ask about um, there, Braddon, was James Hardy, code JHX. Now, of course, this is one of those stocks where one of the old sage lessons an old stock dog once told me where he said, Elio, you need to think less and make more money. James Hardy has always been one of those because seriously, if every time I've looked at it and it's triggered a buy signal in my head, I've sat there and I've gone, nah, nah, I can't do it. You know, there's a thousand different reasons why, of course, be it either asbestos, US housing problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, guess what? It's at all time highs, lesson learned. But in regards to James Hardy, provided an update recently, it's doing very good things, obviously leveraged the recovery in regards to the US construction cycle, as well as here in Australia. Can't do much wrong. What's, uh, what's that price looking like here? Yeah, obviously it's got the momentum in its sales there at the moment. It's had a really good run up and it hasn't looked back since uh, March. And it's been holding high lows the whole way up. It recently broke up and through uh, 3285 thereabouts. Uh, pushed back or had a minor pullback, tested that, but it's still holding, um, what we like to see is it holding the moving averages. And it's holding that quite nicely. It's a bit extended at the moment. So what I'll be looking for simply is just that, you know, what happens on the first pullback, if we can find some buyers that happy to step in around 37 or thereabouts, if it pulls back to that zone, then you start to see the volume pick up, then that's probably a nice little area as good as any uh, to continue that momentum up and just to be a bit of a buy zone down there. Okay, then. Thank you very much for that. And yeah, look, obviously, uh, you know, you can't get them all. And this one here, I've definitely missed on. All right, then, uh, folks, it's time to see the light. Proudly brought to you by our partners in light at Macro Capital. Macro Capital gives you everything you need to discover, analyse and execute on investment opportunities. This is why they're one of Australia's leading research uh, advisors, helping everyday investors shine a light on financial markets so that you too can navigate them with confidence. Head to their website, find out more at macro, that's M-A-Q-R-O dot com dot A-U. All right then, Ron, it's time for you to help us see the light on two possible opportunities that we're going to sit there and listen to attentively. Then we're going to toddle off and do our own research into the business in order to see whether it aligns with our own personal investment objectives and tolerance to risk. So, Ron, what two companies do you want to shine the light on today? Yeah, look, well, actually, I, I, the first one I was going to say is, is Resimac. Um, obviously, I've already sort of spoken about it. Um, but I got to be honest, um, it, it's such a quality business. Yep. Um, it's it's extremely cheap. Um, and I just think there's really easy money, uh, quite sort of limited downside based on the valuation for investors. So I can't really shy away from sort of, you know, um, uh, spotlighting that business again. Um, I, I think it's on the cusp of a, of a big re-rate. And um, I, I just think they've got an amazing five-year track record of growing profits. It's sort of 35% per annum. They're growing, they're, they're paying a, a dividend yield, which we've been growing every year. And um, I just think they're going to continue to win market share and grow. And eventually at some point, you're going to have more than just one broker, which is covering an $800 million stock doing 100 mil in net profit after tax. There's not many sort of ASX companies that are doing that. And I think this is a stock that you know investors should definitely own. And like I said, it's one of our top two holdings. So I'll stick with that one. And the second one is one that I haven't mentioned before. But it's one that we really like. It's called a healthier. The code the code is H L A. 
they're an allied health business, uh, essentially a roll-up of podiatry and physiotherapy uh, clinics around Australia. Uh, they've been listed uh, for um, a few years and they've really executed really well. The management's really good. They, they, can't, they came from Green Cross um, and they're just sort of progressively and conservatively acquiring uh, these podiatry and uh, physiotherapy clinics around Australia. Now, two weeks ago, they announced the acquisition of the optical company for about uh, $45 million. And that essentially diversifies them into that sort of optometry market. So they bought 41 uh, stores there. And, uh, you know, again, defensive and highly fragmented industry. And they can continue to sort of keep acquiring um, and now optometry centers as well. Um, and so, you know, on a combined basis for FY22, when they'll own all the businesses for one year, they should be doing $180 million of revenue and $30 million of EBITDA. They've just hit the $100 million market cap level, which I think is a really a big inflection point for fund managers to, to look at a stock and, and buy it. And the sort of it's trading on five times EBITDA, uh, maybe nine times PE and a 5% 40 franc dividend yield. We think it's worth potentially double the current price in the next 18 months. And we really like it. And, and I think it's a, it's a really good uh, opportunity for investors. Yeah, and I mean, look, return on investor capital at 15%, actually pretty good. The uh, uh, good-looking numbers there, so AHLA and, of course, RMC. All right, then, now, Braden, what two companies do you want to help us see the light on that we're going to do our own research into to see if they align with our own personal views? Okay, the first one I'll look at is um, IHL, it's Incanex Healthcare Limited. Uh, I don't mind that. It's it's just around that 10-cent mark at the moment, so... That's a bit of a concern whether they're just going to play around with that 10 cent where you get that, you know, the move up through 10, between 10 and a half um, when it goes in those half, in, uh, half cent increments. I just want to see what happens up through there. But I think at the moment, any pullback's being supported quite well. The way it's been bought up from March or so, it's had a, you know, lows in there, then it had another high low around June mark, and then uh, again in September. And just the most recent way, the way it's just pushed up to say 10 cents, just below 10 cents, it's pulled back, consolidated quite nicely. And it's just having to run up now, so depending on where it opens when the ASX can get their game together again, whether it's going to um, just play around 10 cents, chop around there, or whether it's going to start to jam straight up through that 10 cent mark. So really from here, if we can have a bit of a pullback, um, probably pop up through, I don't mind it pushing through 10, 10 and a half, then that first pullback, see how it's soaked up. And then from there, I think it would be the key. If it can hold another higher load, then it's um, game on. So the second one I'll look at, We've been in this before. It's BGA, Bigger Cheese. Mm -hmm. So we bought this, uh, did quite well before we got squeezed out. I think we managed to add 10% to that. So just before we got squeezed out at around $5.30, I think it was, just mid-September. But I think since then, it's come off those highs. It's been, the way it's grinding down is quite nice for me. It, you get that acceleration upside, which we took advantage of. The way it's been grinding down, I'm looking for, say, $5, that $5 mark, thereabouts to hold. And I want to see if you can hold pretty much an inside level, say 505, 5 to 510, thereabouts, if you can hold up roughly where it is and start to lift again, get a bit of volume, start to creep into the market. I think a push up through 530 or though, uh, also would lead to, you know, retest on those highs. It might be a gradual move up or we might get that acceleration we had back for, uh, through August to, was it September or so, before we got squeezed out. But mm. I reckon there's a second chance on that. It could look, it's, the way it's pulling back is looking really nice, um, getting set up to have another move higher. All right then, now See the Light segment was powered to you by Macro Capital, your complete solution for stock market research, advice 
and trade execution. Go to macro.com.au, that's M-A-Q-R-O.com.au to learn more. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank very much our two uh, bucks who uh, absolutely made this ladies' night today. So thank you very much, Ron Shamgar from Tamam Asset Management for your contribution today. Thanks, Elia. Great and show. That, and that's Tamim, T-A-M-I-M.com.au to learn about the two funds that Ron manages there. And of course, to our man with a dazzling smile, Braden Gardner from Trade Direct 365. Thank you very much for your contribution today. Uh, thanks for having me, mate. No, thank you for coming on. And remember, tradedirect365.com.au. If you wish to avail yourself of that $2,500 rebate, be sure to let them know I sent you. Um, I can't say they're going to do anything else, actually, but nonetheless, it'll make them feel good. Well, if, if today was ladies' night, well, tomorrow's definitely the morning after because we've got Tony Lacantro from Alto Capital and Nick Radge from the Charters joining us to talk stocks and answer your questions live on air. Now, before you send me hate mail or jump on social media to cane me, I'm sorry we couldn't get through all the questions today, folks. It was just too many. We will answer them in subsequent episodes as well. Of course, you can go to the website, spotty.com.au to watch those replays. And remember to look at the bottom of each episode. We'll have there the stocks that are discussed in the order that they came up in the program. You can, of course, use the search function in the top right-hand corner, type in the code of interest, and you'll see which episode it was discussed in. If you want to get your questions in early to get to see if they can get up, well then question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480-079-089. You'll probably need to do so again because we've got two popular guests on tomorrow. And if there is another expert you'd like to see on the show, then let me know and I'll follow them up. Uh, thanks again to our uh, partners in Light, Share Wealth Systems. Remember, go to 16traits, that's 16traits.com to learn the 16 traits of successful investing as authored by Gary Stone. Thanks again to Ticker for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Rick, today for pushing all the right buttons. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robbo show, uh, show, folks, which is coming up next. And until ne until tomorrow, that is, provided the market opens, oh, no, we'll be here. I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. See you then. Stream us live on the Ticker app, Apple TV, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and TickerTV.com.au. Ticker. Streaming news now.